Hello and welcome to the Birkbeck Inspires Conversations with Alumni podcast series, where we hear from former students and find out more about their time at Birkbeck. Birkbeck Inspires is the college's free online events, activities and resources programme, which has been designed to inspire learning, provoke thought and entertain and excite curious minds. Today's episode features novelist and cultural historian Dr Mark Blacklock and the interviewer is Charlotte Belson from the Development and Alumni team. My name is Charlotte and I work in the Development Alumni team here at Birkbeck and I'm delighted today to be joined by Dr Mark Blacklock. So Mark is a novelist and cultural historian who is not only an alumnus of Birkbeck having studied his MA and his PhD with us but also now teaches on the MA Creative and Critical Writing course. Uh, so Mark's successful 2015 debut novel, I'm Jack, focused on John Humble or the Yorkshire Ripper hoaxer. And his most recent novel, Hinton, was published in April to a strong critical reception and focuses on another real life figure, uh, this time mathematician Charles Howard Hinton. Hello. Hi, Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for doing this podcast with us. No, not at all. Thank you for having me. It's very nice to, always nice to to talk about Birkbeck, but um, but also to be able to talk about um, my, my stuff as well. That's really a real treat. Oh, well, great. And actually, on that note, I, I before we sort of move on to your novels, I would just love to hear a bit more about your experience of Birkbeck and your time here, if that's okay. Yeah, of course, of course. Well, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, in many ways, I guess I'm 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 sort of unusual in that I have come all the way through uh, as a as a student, I um, so in 2005, uh, my wife and I had our first daughter, and uh, my wife was gonna go back to work um, after her maternity leave, and I was doing taking on the the, the childcare, um, and because I sort of thought that I was not gonna have the the kind of intellectual stimulation that I'd had from from work, I'd, I'd been working as a freelance journalist and. Uh, and and that was I was not going to be doing so much of that. I thought I'll go back to um, go back to studying. Um, I have to say I was not. I'd done a, an undergraduate degree, uh, which I in Japanese, which I'd finished in oh. 1996, and I was not a very good undergraduate student. It has to be said, and I got a, a third class degree, um, and so I, there was a kind of a bit an itch that I wanted to scratch to sort of prove to myself that that um, you know that I could actually actually study and uh, yeah well, I started looking around I was as I say I was a journalist so I was I was writing professionally but I was also writing uh, my own fiction and getting more interested in in that uh, obviously reading a lot and I started looking casting my eye around for some somewhere to study and the the, the MA modern and contemporary literature at Birkbeck just it kind of caught my eye just just because of the of what you know the way it was structured so th- thematically and and periodically and uh, and and the fact it kind of looked really rigorous and I thought I, you know, I toyed with the idea of doing a creative writing course but then sort of it felt slightly safer somehow to be doing something with a with a syllabus to work through um, and yeah I kind of I, I thought that would probably be as as useful for my writing um, as as uh, and indeed that you know that that's proved to be the case. Must have been hard work with a daughter 
and studying at the same time. Um, well, yeah, it was. I mean, it's, it, it, uh, but a lot of very rewarding. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when you've got real, real little ones, uh, it, it's uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty full on, but but it's kind of very much that sort of um, uh, it's sort of quite a physical job, right? Looking after really, really <laughs> yeah, little kids, and, yeah, and 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 you know, physical and and emotional, and so the, the sort of intellectuals being able to go out at the end of end of the day uh, on a, on a Wednesday and a Thursday, and and sort of sit in a sit in a classroom with with a Birkbeck cohort was was brilliant. It was the perfect balance. I mean, I you know, there was a bit of negotiation uh, as there always is to sort of clear time to do essays. But, um, you know, but 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 I, that is, I, I think that now gives me an insight, you know, an understanding of what it's like for Birkbeck students. You know, I, I particularly remember the first Christmas. Christmases are hard. So I always warn MA students about that, you know, because Christmas is hard. I mean, particularly if you're full time, um, but I'm, I'm getting boring. I'm getting into <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, it's genuinely really interesting. And I mean, well, tell me a bit. So it sounds, I hope the fact that you went on to do your PhD with us meant that you enjoyed your MA. But tell me a bit about both going on to your PhD, but also how you found your studies all the way through. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was, I mean, it was, it was fantastic. I, I so I, as I said, i studied Japanese and I was sort of interested in, in literature, but I really hadn't, you know, I, I'd done, there'd been a literature component to the Japanese degree, but, um, you know, but I was no, no great shakes. And, and in the first term on the MA, I remember getting, getting my um, first essay back and I got a merit, I got 67. I remember being pretty, pretty disappointed because I'd worked so hard and I really, really th- I thought I'd read absolutely everything and I really wanted to do well. And the two things that sort of kicked it on, I got some incredible, very useful and detailed feedback from uh, Becky Beasley, who, who marked it. And uh, and then I asked a, a, a friend, uh, Henderson, to show me his essay. And he he got a um, sort of quite high distinction. And and it really opened my eyes that there was this other way of approaching mm-hmm. approaching it. He had a he kind of had a critical argument that he wanted to make, and he was doing research to support that. And I I just kind of read everything on the reading list and reproduced it, and it was faithful and you know and and sort of studious. But it wasn't you know it wasn't kind of stepping out, reaching for originality, which we're which we're always trying to get students to do at MA level. And um and and I saw in 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 his work how you know how you could do that and it was really liberating sort of really exciting uh and, and it sort of kicked on from there really um and I'd, I'd not never planned to to do a phd but um on my my second optional essay i i discovered uh discovered this guy charles howard hinton who who i've ended up working on a lot um and and the kind of idea of uh, higher dimensional space as it as it was um, constructed and, and and kind of moved around in in the late Victorian period and and, and thought that there might be something interesting to do there um, and at the same time I was attending all the kind of graduate lectures that um, that were having the department in the English department but back and and heard uh, I mean I particularly remember Steve Connor um, presenting on Michelle Serre. And thinking that that you know get, getting really sort of uh, excited by by the possibilities 
of, of sort of theoretical approaches to the exchanges between science and literature and 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 realizing that there was maybe a, you know a theoretical model for looking at, at this material as well so so it just sort of grew as the uh, as the ma went on it was it was it was really yeah yeah but very i loved it i loved it it was great and that's you know that's kind of why I was, it was fantastic to be able to sort of then propose a project within the department Oh, it's so nice to hear that you enjoyed it so much. And well, tell us about your PhD and, and what you went on to, to focus on and how you found that experience. Yes, well, um, I, you know, then ha having having heard Steve kind of, um, you know, talk talk on say, I, I think I think Roger Luckhurst suggested to me that Steve would be a good person to um, to supervise this project. And when I took it to him in its initial formation formulation it it wasn't really a very sort of well-defined idea it was just i, I want to write about the uh the, the the fourth dimension and he he i think you know i remember having a meeting with him last about an hour and i think and he kind of persuaded himself that it might be interesting over the course of the hour i don't think i did anything particularly uh to persuade him um but it was really good fortune that he he, he decided to take it on um because you kind of can't, that you know I, I that with that sort of experienced PhD supervision, um, yeah, I was it was sort of constantly challenged to think about how to make the project something that could be interesting to to you know broader broader audience. I mean, he really encouraged me to think of it as a kind of conversation, uh, you know, uh, and. Word intervention into the field that sort of phrase is is overused but you know something that was you know, a part of a conversation about about knowledge and um that that was that was really useful and again it sort of you know the, the whole idea of it of it grew so it became about um how ideas really a kind of history of an idea as it moves between um, mathematics science different kind of social groupings and then into um, how it's then sort of reimagined in in cultural contexts, um, and yeah, it was it was it, a, a real you know I was part time, so I, I spent five years doing it, and it and it was great. It fitted around looking after after the kids. By then there were there was another one and another one on the way, so you know I could make it sort of fit around. It sounds absolutely amazing. And did you find that your experience as a journalist helped, especially at that PhD level? Did it help with your research and your writing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. The thing about being a, a journalist is, you, you, you know, you don't you can't be precious about your words. You just have to produce. Um, and that that really is helpful, that kind of professional discipline of of just putting pen to paper um, regularly. So, yeah, that 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 continues to sort of inform my approach to writing. I mean, and also I think it means you um, I don't think you last very long as a journalist if you don't take editing well. <laughs> so it kind of fits quite well with the, the supervisory process. You know, it's okay if somebody um, says this isn't working. This mm -hmm. this this needs this needs to change in this way. You, you, you're used to get, getting stuff sent back and having to think again about how to approach it. So yeah. It makes you open, open to criticism. I can, yes, I can understand yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, obviously, then you you became a teacher at Birkbeck, and and sort of the role changed again. Tell me a bit about that transition and and how it came about. Yeah. So we um in the English department when you're a 
PhD student. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if it's exactly the same now. I, mean, I think COVID might change things, but we had the opportunity to um, to to get experience teaching on the first year BA programs as graduate teaching assistants, uh, which is really useful experience. I didn't do it in my first uh, two years. I think I did it in years three and four of the PhD, which was which was probably best, you know, to kind of get a bit of a good chunk of research under my belt for starting to do it. Um, and, you know, you, you sort of in that first bit, you, I had some teaching experience some language teaching experience. So I sort of knew how to how to make a lesson plan and how to how to kind of um, uh, how to uh, approach teaching and, and prepare for teaching. Um, but of course, a Birkbeck cohort is very, very different <laughs> to a standard cohort. I mean, I have in my first group, I had people who already published books, and you, know, so you can't you have to have to be sort of quite uh, you know quite flexible in the room. Um, uh, but again, you know, I really, I really enjoyed that. But you know, because it was a, a I think possibly because it's you know Birkbeck cohort, and mm. and we can you know, speak more about what that is. I think later because I think that's something that is unique to to um, to the college but um but yeah and, th and then uh having I, I did a brief postdoc uh with Roger Luckhurst in the department and then a job came up um a three-year post and I was one of two people who, who who got that and and um you know straight in at the deep end run uh, Kind of managing a, a, an MA program and and teaching across the whole thing, um, and you learn you learn quickly and um, and then also take a, a, a professional qualification, um, which you know. So you, I suppose, I would say that you know you, the college supports you to develop your practice, and um, you know, you, 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 as I say, you, one, one learns quickly. I think I'm a much you know kind of much better teacher than I was to begin with because now I, I sort of been, I'm a, more able to allow the kind of session to be co-produced mm. in the room you know you sort of it, it takes a while I think in those early days you, you, to to sort of uh, ensure that you're, you're you're comfortable you over prepare and you try to make sure you're all over vast swathes <laughs> of material and actually what, what what works best in the room is to sort of allow a group to to kind of work together towards um you know a, a sort of a, an aim for each session and 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 you know that i, I hope i'm better at doing that now <laughs> well it, it do you find that actually it helped that whole process the fact that you had just come yourself from doing the ma and the phd you know did you sort of find it easier then to understand as you say what is quite a unique cohort of Birkbeck? Do yeah. you think it helped that whole process? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Some f familiarity with the, you know, the specifics of the, of the Birkbeck experience. You know that you've got people coming, you know, coming from jobs that there's that the, you know, families, work, life is, mm. is 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 gonna gonna figure large, and that's a, you know, it's a real advantage in the room as well because you get those such sort of disparate experiences. Mm. Um. Uh. So yeah, but I. Uh, it, it, it's it's yeah it's I think it, I, 
it's grown up right i mean you know regardless <laughs> yeah. of the ages of the mm-hmm. of the people participating and those ages will vary widely it's a, it's a it's a you know it's a very sort of grown up learning experience i think well actually it leads really nicely on to my next question which is is to ask you what your highlights have been so as a student and as a teacher at Birkbeck, uh, so yeah. either or, or both <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what, well, have, what have been your best bits yeah i mean i, I so lots um <laughs> there's kind of one i mean most of them most of them as a as a teacher are kind of really quite sort of often quite small things with 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 students when you sort of feel like you've um kind of really like work to understand something together or you know and on occasion uh i mean you know on you know, many occasions when when you sort of experience particularly at MA level students sort of outstripping you, you know your your knowledge and expertise by by some distance that's you know that that happens quite a lot at MA level and that's really that's really exciting um it kind of weird like it, this is quite a Birkbecky thing I was thinking about uh, you know uh, something the other day I was teaching a student on um, the MA cultural and critical studies who was working part-time at Houseman's bookshop and she emailed in the middle of the day um, to say that they'd just taken receipt of the sort of um, the offcuts of uh, Professor Stuart Hall's library. Um, she knew that I was interested in in Stuart Hall, the kind of the, the, the guy who developed cultural studies in in Britain. Um, and when when he died, his his, his widow um, Catherine Hall had, had uh, sort of gone through his library and sorted what would go for archive and what would and um, what wasn't needed for archive. And um, when I got this email, I kind of went. I knew my colleague friend Joe Brooker was also interested. So we just ran over to Houseman's and kind of raided this whole uh, this whole sort of library. Got armfuls of books as much as we could afford and came back and sort of got them into the offices and then went through and all these books were signed by Stuart Hall and annotated in the margins. He's having arguments with Milton Friedman in the arguments of the book. And it just strikes me as a really kind of the sort of thing that really could only only happen at Birkbeck because we were so close <laughs> to thousands. We could get there first. We got the tip off because those are the kind of students we had. Um, so that was, you know, I kind of, that's a, I remember that as a sort of very exciting, exciting day. But then, you know, and so, but something that happens all the time is the is the kind of going going to the pub after, particularly as an MA student after mm-hmm. after a session. You know, the fact that you finish teaching at nine and and can go for a drink and and sort of talk about what you've just just done in the session is 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 great. And I've always loved that. Oh, what an amazing example as well. I love the book story. I think it just it shows, as you said, just the diversity of people that we have here. And I suppose it's more of a a sort of peer on peer sort of network in a way sometimes. Going on more to your writing, which, of course, is sort of the, the dual side of things, I suppose. I, I would love to hear more about Hinton and what inspired you to write the story. And you've already mentioned Hinton himself. It'd be good to hear just what was so intriguing about him. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so when I was um, right at the start of the PhD, I, I kind of disappeared down a, a, a I suppose, a, a side alley that the Steve Connor drew me out of and said, you know, start thinking again more about the the history of the idea rather than this this individual and the life. But the um, I, I ended up spending spending about a week in the archives at UCL, uh, the archives of the Men and Women's 
club, this sort of uh, discussion group um, in the in the 1880s and 1890s for the, re discussing the relations between the sexes. And they'd uh, discovered a sort of, because I knew that some of them knew this guy Hinton and I wanted to find out what had happened and discovered a sort of cache of letters where they were gossiping about the fact that he'd been convicted of bigamy. And it was this sort of amazing archival moment. I think people who research in archives often experience this, where you suddenly, you do, you find that that thing, that the, the, the little sort of grouping of, um, of exchanges of information that's exactly what you're looking for. And, um, you know, I, uh, I, as soon as I'd found it, I thought I want to do something with this narratively. It can be the heart of a, of a, of a kind of telling of this life uh, and you know, and I wanted to 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 use the life. I mean, I've been very, I suppose, the 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 kind of theme that unites my uh, both both books, what I'm interested in in fiction, and I think probably in my research as well, is a kind of you know approaches to the real, very broadly conceived. You know how how we represent uh, the real and different sort of modes of approach to it and particularly how you how you then kind of deal with um you know with all that sort of messy messy real stuff in in um representative uh, uh media such as narrative fiction and um and so using using documents is is something that i've done in i'm jack and and it struck me as something i could then sort of locate at the heart of of this the story about this guy's life uh, and and sort of construct as it were a, a sort of really elaborate frame around the real a sort of a, elaborate kind of fictional framework i mean at one point i thought about doing it just as a as a book in a box a kind of uh, bs johnson unfortunate style thing where you would the reader would come across the documents as if they were found you know to sort of recreate the experience of finding them in archive but um yeah, as is often the way with with um fine-minded ideas like that the, the reality is that the that uh the, the box ended up being kind of constructed out of words instead well you mentioned the sort of the real life figures and you mentioned i'm jack as well and obviously john humble seems like really quite a, a controversial figure and um, yeah what, what inspired that story as well yeah so uh I, as I say, you know, interested in, in in approaches to the real, and 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 he mm. was a, a notorious hoaxer. Mm. Um, it, it, I I think I first encountered him reading David Peace. I think it's pieces in the Red Riding Quartet. I think it's the second one that is um, that sort of focused on that period and interested in the fact that there was. Uh, someone who sent three letters and then a recorded tape to police claiming responsibility for murders that um, that were later discovered to have been committed by Peter Sutcliffe. And because the voice on the tape was distinctively um, Sunderland in dialect, uh, George Oldfield and the investigating officers sort of shifted all their attention to Sunderland for, for the best part of two years. Um, and I, I grew up in Sunderland, and so was kind of really, you know, familiar with the with the dialect, and really kind of interested in that. What's going on with language there? When you know, mm -hmm. when they, I mean, they were really obsessing over kind of small 
um, odd odd phrases uh, and and intonations and uh, that that kind of struck me as something it's a kind of again it's a sort of you know mediation of the of the real that's going on there right the, the forensic attention to the the, the the sort of materiality of language um you know it struck me as kind of very you know parallel to what we you know what we do as, as literary critics and it struck me that he was kind of quite um you know he, he was a bit like a, a a sort of producer of fiction himself um so it, it sort of seemed like a, a as a story it had all the elements that I wanted for you know vehicle for kind of looking at what I was interested in. It sounds absolutely fascinating. Uh, with both books, I mean, how did you find the process of being published? Was it sort of a really satisfying experience, or how was the whole? Yeah, to get there. <laughs> it's 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 interesting. It's it's uh, you know a lot of good fortune involved. I, I basically I, I was putting stuff up on a blog um, and it got spotted by a young uh, editor at Granta. Uh, that young editor is now the, the very famous novelist, Max Porter. Um, but he, he, and he sort of read something on, I'd put on a blog and uh, he said, do you want to meet? And I kind of realized it was a pitch meeting. So I pitched hard and, uh, and, he, uh, and, he, and, he, and he, you know, saw something in the idea. So, so that, you know, the, it was it was good fortune. I mean, I think I think you know what I take away from it is that it's always worth putting stuff putting stuff out into the wild, mm. you know. Um, if if it hadn't been, to, I mean, I think I think the blogging process is, but was probably particular to that moment that that, that people were seeing things on blogs um, back then, sort of twenty thirteen. But um, but the, you know there are sort of similar um, fora uh, available now. Um, and yeah, in terms of actually getting published, it's it's quite a fraught experience. <laughs> I have to say, it's not you know it's uh, it's it's hugely uh, you know exciting to get to get a book in into the world. All the stuff that goes around it is is pretty odd. Um, you know, it, it, it's. It, I kind of I get thrown back onto the you know the old sort of post-structuralist idea that you know once you, it's no longer yours once it's out there in the world you know they're not they're not your ideas not your words anymore once they're published and that that's you know I'd love it that to just be it you know you just put it out there and then then it's it belongs to readers it doesn't quite work like that because it becomes a product and you're expected to promote that product and um and you kind of you sort of want it to do well, but I this second time round, I think I've uh, I've enjoyed it probably more. I felt more anxious in the run up to it coming out, but now it's out. It's like that feels good. That's I'm just happy it's out. <laughs> I've done it. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, before we spoke, I was I was reading about Hinton, and there's some fantastic uh, reviews and and critical responses to it. I mean, it must be really satisfying to have your work out there and and have such good feedback for it. Well, it's I mean, it's it's really heartening that it gets that it gets noticed, to be honest, because I think that's the you know, that's the biggest fear that it literally will not be, you know, not not be reviewed. And I think it's really uh, kind of exceedingly difficult environment at the moment where so many books are coming out and, um, you know, it, 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 there's a, you know, yeah. So, so, so it's, it is really um, really heartening when 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 people uh, sort of engage with it on its own terms and 
and and read it so yeah that was that, that that's nice but uh, you know I don't think anyone who who kind of publishes or writes is ever entirely satisfied. I don't know. <laughs> As I say, I, I feel reasonably content at the moment. <laughs> oh, good, good. And actually, you know, you've you've sort of mentioned a bit about the publishing experience, but you know, for your students and for anyone listening who wants to write their own novel and begin that process, do you have any sort of perhaps a piece of advice or a tip that that you would give to them? Yeah, I mean, you know, the uh, it's probably the the the, the sort of key tips are the most self-evident I mean you know it, it comes back a bit to that sort of journalistic discipline you know just writing I mean you know you, to get a book length thing you you have to write a book length number of words so you just have to write you can't can't put it off um I again I believe in sort of put, putting stuff out there and doing you know if you if you can't find I was involved in various sort of DIY things um, when I was around the time I was doing the MA. I was involved in it. I was in a part of a, a sort of writing group and self-publishing group, and we used to perform our stuff, um, and that was great. You know, that was that was that was the closest I've ever got to being in a band. It was really good. <laughs> <laughs> that um, you know that 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 kind of thing. Like get finding ways to get work out is, is is important to sort of socialize it a bit I think um yeah I mean especially at the moment during lockdown and obviously it's so much harder to to, to meet with people and to have that sort of discussion necessarily you know yeah. how, do you have any sort of techniques that you use yourself or that you'd you'd sort of recommend to people who are struggling just to get that that process going especially when you're often on your own and <laughs> you know, locked in a room or <laughs> with, yeah, without much yeah. interaction yeah I, I mean that you know there there are so many I think I think you know because I do a session on this on the MA um creative critical we do a kind of session on you know how to uh getting pen to paper you know so where on those occasions when when it's not it doesn't feel like it's happening you know what 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 to do and kind of brainstorm ideas and, and share them in the room and lots of you know there's lot as many different ways of prompting prompting writing as there are writers I think and you know from sort of obvious stuff like go for a walk or a run or you know do something different have a cup of coffee you know whatever um but the the things that really um for me that are kind of absolutely key are are you know reading and reading across registers across you know not just reading you know what what you what you kind of might be what the type of stuff that you're going to write but read you know read different sort of forms of of writing documents um archival stuff theory non-fiction fiction just reading everything just kind of chewing it up uh, and you know and similarly kind of taking in all kinds of cultural stuff as as prompts and cues and they, you know you can respond to anything that comes in it offers an opportunity for response and 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 can sort of st stimulate some kind of um idea um you know and then you know obviously discussion and uh with with, with whoever's available you know <laughs> these days for the ch my children are <laughs> subjected to that as much as anybody else um and um uh and uh yeah yeah, I, I think that's it. I mean, I've, you know, I've sometimes sort of recommended using um, Brian Eno's oblique strategies as well. You know, I mean, there's nothing, do you know, are you familiar with those? It's, no, no, I haven't come across them. 
Ryan Eno made a set of cards that that kind of prompts to um, prompts to creativity in, in in the broad sense when you and the, you know they contain all kinds of they are literally oblique strategies like you know rip it up and start again or you know whatever you know change it change a, a dial on something yeah and I mean you mentioned reading which I think is great advice have you got authors who yourself influenced your work and do you have those sort of key people who uh, helped you through the process yeah 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 definitely um but I you know I I'm I'm definitely quite sort of um obsessive and completist on on sort of certain certain things but also I think you take um so I've you know in Sinclair I've kind of gone to in Sinclair for blurbs for both my books and I don't think they would exist without without his work and that's really you know, I, I read his first novel, Whitechapel, Scarlet Tracings, and they kind of both in different ways come out, spin out of that. Um, I, my wife brought Alistair Gray's Unlikely Stories mostly into our into our marriage, and that was a, a, a really kind of wonderful present. I've been obsessed with Gray for, um, you know, for 20 years now. It was just a wonderful creative force. I mean, I don't, don't know if he's so well known in England as he is in Scotland, where they quite, you know, quite justly have him on on school syllabuses and um you know he was he was a maker and you know he's yeah um so I'd, I'd recommend anyone to check out Alice Alistair Gray if they're not on that familiar with him um I and then there are people you kind of like admire and think oh how do you know how do they do that even as even as a critic Deborah Levy's a bit like that for me I know I know our colleague Julia interviewed Deborah Levy during mm-hmm. last week and I I I'm I like to think I was quite an early adopter on Swimming Home. I subscribed uh, to And Other Stories when it came out and, and was pushing that on anyone who'd read it. She, it's amazing, the kind of sort of very subtle, gentle kind of use of kind of almost, you know, psychoanalytic archetypes in a, in, in a sort of very, really, really brilliant, brilliant work, but but very, you know, not not necessarily, you know, so inspirational more in the sense that that's something... Um, I'd like to, you know, like to and work out how how that's done, but wouldn't sort of necessarily try to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then Ballard, I'm I'm uh, working on a, um, I'm hoping to to do a, an edited collection of um, Ballard, JG Ballard's non-fiction if if um, if it gets a, a go ahead. So I I kind of go back to Ballard stuff quite a lot again for for that sort of thing for prompts for um for for inspiration it's a sort of um that sort of real clear-eyed uh view vista of of Mm. of, um culture and history that is 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 exceedingly kind of um you know eye-opening interesting i have to admit i haven't come across like they all sound fantastic and i love deborah eby as well i'll have to look up alistair gray i've never come across him so it's a good tip oh you're in for a (laughs) truth you mentioned the jg ballard work that you're doing but have you got anything else on the horizon are you working on your next novel or um yeah what what are your plans yes i am yeah 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 i'm working on on the next novel and have been i've just sort of thrown away ten thousand words that aren't going to work and i'm going to try again on on a on a a bit it's a, a kind of it's sort of prompted by a document rather than uh, incorporating them this time. But it's it's a, a, a sort of contemporary, um, I suppose, 
it's perhaps a bit like a thriller. <laughs> it's this sort of, sort of, you know, a kind of literary approach to that to that idea of a of a, a kind of espionage story. I've been I've been drinking up John le Carré, and so you know something a little bit along those lines. Exciting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, last question. I won't keep much longer, but. Just to sort of finish off the whole interview, I'd just love to hear a little bit, you know, for our alumni and anyone who's perhaps looking to come to Birkbeck, I'd love just to hear what you think makes Birkbeck special and what's made you stay so involved with this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a completely unique environment. I mean, I, you know, uh, I, I think the, I mean, I mentioned that cohort. I don't think you will find, you know, a room of students like you find at Birkbeck at any other institution in the country, because you come into that room and there are, you know, all ages, all ethnicities, all religions, all, you know, the range of nationalities. And, you know, it's constantly sort of surprising and wrong footing and uplifting when you hear what, you know, people people have to say. You learn as much from, from the people in the room as the people in, at the front of it, I think. Um, and then, you know, yeah. So we, so we're kind of inclusive in our bones because it's just, you know, we are just have to be that. It's like working people. Um, and I, but I think, you know, what what sort of defines the what 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 kept me there was was a, a certain type of intellectual curiosity that that you know I hadn't encountered during my undergraduate degree. That that idea that you you know you can sort of it's not so much what you're looking at and I think we see this with our postgraduates especially where the, the diversity of projects is insane and people are looking at all kinds of of different cultural phenomena um but but it's about how you think about it it's about that that kind of um intellectually curious analytical and theoretically and historically informed approach it's a really yeah it's a curiosity, I think, that drives it, and I, and I think that's that's kind of that's the real sort of radicalism at, at the heart of our of our approach. That's a great answer, and I think a, a great place to sort of finish up and our conversation. And that was really, really interesting. And thank you so much, Mark. And oh, yeah, we look forward to seeing your next books coming forward as well. Oh, great! Well, uh, I hope it does come out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, it will. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Well, that's the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening. Make sure you check out what else Birkbeck Inspires has in store by visiting our website at bbk.ac.uk forward slash Birkbeck inspires.